Welcome to the Jabadoo Education Podcast, episode 37. And so I spent a lot of time talking to victims and helping them cope while also trying to be better about saying, be a an upstander, be someone who comes in and can disrupt this because the bully isn't doing it just to take the power from the kid they're bullying. They're taking your power because you're letting it happen. They're doing it for your benefit, right? And so um, that's been, I think, really powerful working with students as well. You're listening to the Jabadoo Education Podcast. I'm your host, John Ruths, and I'm going to introduce you to some of the leading professionals in the fields of education, psychology, and leadership to bring you the most relevant and up-to-date tips, tricks, and tools for you to use in your classroom. Welcome to Jabadoo. Hey, what's going on, teachers and educators? Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Jabadoo Education Podcast. Today, I am sitting down with Dr. Leandra Paris, and she is out of uh, William & Mary University. Uh, which is the second oldest institution of higher education in the United States and is named after King William and Queen Mary, and it is second only to Harvard University, which was founded in 1636, so 60 years prior to it. So uh, I just couldn't believe that that's how far apart, uh, that's how long Harvard was the only uh, higher education institution in the United States. Um, at that time, it wasn't even the United States. It was the <laughs> the colonies. But anyway, I digress. A uh, little bit of fun, fun little bit of history there for you. Uh, today, I'm sitting with uh, Leandra Paris, and we are talking about bullying and cyberbullying, uh, which, you know, as we as we close out this school year on, on what has been one of the strangest years, <laughs> I think, probably in many of our, uh, you know, teaching careers, um, this idea of cyberbullying, particularly, is something that uh, has, you know, been surfacing in the last twenty years with the rise of social media, um, and really, it's not go- going to go away, right? Um, and so we we chat about it a good little bit. Uh, we dive into you know a couple different strategies that teachers can do, especially considering that most of the cyberbullying actually happens outside of school. Uh, where we don't see it. So uh, we talk about some strategies as to, you know, how you can recognize when that might be happening, even if you are not uh, on present online with them. But uh, funny, uh, another little funny thing here is is uh, how Dr. Leandra Paris got into cyberbullying research, and it has to do with 10-pin bowling. <laughs> so you'll have to listen to this episode uh, to figure out what I'm talking about there. But um, great conversation here. Uh, I know you're going to get a ton of value out of it. But before we get into that, let me uh, invite you to join our Facebook group. So this is something that I have uh, switched my focus over to is is creating a community of teachers and professionals who are interested in not only getting uh, direct information from people who are doing the research, like this podcast does, but also people who are just interested in being part of the conversation and interested in connecting with other teachers who are uh, of like mind and um, doing it all within you know this, this space here, which we all have access to, which is Facebook. So uh, if you are interested in joining, we would love to have you join the conversation. Uh, this past week, I did my first live stream with the group. Uh, brought in somebody from Vivid Learning uh, and and showed off some cool 3D modeling that you uh, that you might be able to use, especially if you're a science teacher. So, um, if you want to watch the the replay of that, that's available there in the Facebook group. Uh, you can find the link to that 
you can go to it directly by going to facebook.com slash groups slash Jabadoo, or you can find a link to the Facebook group on our show notes page. So everything we talk about on this episode can be found on our show notes page, which is jabadoo.com slash show 37. Uh, and on there, you will have, like I said, the link to the Facebook group, which I would love for you to go check out. Um, you can sign up for our email newsletter if you'd like. Uh, you can also, uh, there's an opportunity to support this show by purchasing some Jabadoo original t-shirt tees. A bunch of cool stuff there on the show notes page. So uh, check that out. Again, jabadoo.com slash show 37. And with that, I think let's get into our conversation with Dr. Leandra Paris. All right. My guest today on the Jabadoo Education Podcast is an assistant professor in school psychology at William & Mary. Her focus is on peer relationships among middle and high school students within a trauma-informed framework, and her primary area of interest is coping with bullying and cyberbullying and the ways in which social media influences peer victimization and youth well-being. Within her field, she focuses on social justice endeavors that help provide voice and empowerment to marginalized youth and families, and she's currently serving as the co-chair of the National Association of School Psychologists Social Justice Committee. Dr. Leandra Paris, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for joining me today on the Jabadoo Education Podcast. It's great to be here. It is. I'm I'm excited for a couple of reasons. One is uh, you have your gamer headset on, and we made a connection about that <laughs> earlier, which is just so much fun. I had um we I had somebody on the podcast. Uh, oh my heavens. Um. He he's down in uh Colombia. Oh, I'm I'm mad at myself for not remembering his name. But he talked about we have gamers who are entering the teacher pool, and they don't know if they can be a teacher and a gamer simultaneously. So uh, thank you for leading the way in that. <laughs> <laughs> of course, happy to help. <laughs> yeah, so, um, but we are obviously, we're going to dive into a lot of the work that you're doing, um, you know, as, as the world has kind of been pushed into a virtual uh, sort of reality, not, not VR headsets, but um, you know, obviously the, the, uh, the social media aspect um, is alive and well still. Uh, and so we'll, we'll touch on that. But before we do, uh, take us back to who Leandra Paris was as a student. You know, what were some of your highs and lows coming through uh, the elementary and middle and high school? Um, and just kind of what was your experience as a student? Um, well, yeah, I'm going to act like that was not that long ago. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> so I grew up in a pretty small town in the foothills in South Carolina. And so um, I went through a K through eight. So we were not, we were all together. Um, junior high. Having, was, yeah. Having kindergartners and eighth graders in the same building is an interesting dynamic. If you've never, uh, <laughs> you, I, my first school that I taught at was uh, a one to six. And even those sixth graders, man, that it's a different beast. Anyway. Oh yeah. No, I can remember being like in first grade, like going to lunch and these like giant tall people <laughs> that are like, you know, the eighth graders. Um, and so very small town and there's like 400 people who live in Campobello. Um, and you know, we were not, I don't know. It was, it was a good experience. Very, everyone knew everyone, um, very community oriented. And then when I went to high school, I actually had to go to high school, a couple towns over, okay. um, and a bunch of similarly <laughs> sort of, you know, elementary slash middle schools kind of all came together. And, uh, that was fun. That was, I remember high school like, being a really painful growing experience. Like I was kind of a smart aleck and thought I knew everything. And that, <laughs> that 
pretty pretty So you're a high school student. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like I got pretty quickly (laughs) doused. But um, (laughs) you know, it was a it was a really small town. I think that we were always kind of a little bit behind the rest of the world, it felt like in terms of technology. So um, I didn't have cable until I went to college. Like um, but when I would go to school, I had access to the internet starting around 10th and 11th grade, which was really cool. Um, and we actually were able to take our AP classes via satellite. Oh, wow. um, and so we just thought that was like the, like that was like the quintessential at like the top of technology. And like, now here we are having the zoom conversation, like it's no big deal. Right. <laughs> um, and so in some ways it was really great growing up in a smaller area. We were, we're very, we're surrounded by orchards. We're very farm based. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, it was very, you know, dull in some ways. Uh, <laughs> but there, there's beauty in that, isn't there? <laughs> there is. And you know, could do a lot. So like I was a cheerleader and I was, I played the violin. So I was an orchestra. So I don't know nice. how many people can be like, I crossed all of the different high school cliques. That's fair. Um, but the downside to that, I think, is that when we did have crisis, we didn't have a lot of support for that. And mm-hmm. so um, we had some student deaths, I think, kind of rocked the community. And then mm-hmm. when I was a senior, a good friend of mine committed suicide and it just, um, it really blew the whole thing away. Like no one really knew how to respond. No one really knew how to help anybody. You know, we were all kind of floundering and it was kind of like, yeah, I think the kids are depressed, but like, what are you going to do? And it's a small, yeah. very, um, I would say religious town. And so no one wants to talk about suicide. And so yeah. I remember it very fondly and, and very ideally, but then we get to senior year and I'm like, Oh, but yeah, like there, there's some drawbacks to, to that. And so I feel like that shadows my whole educational experience around yeah. being in a small town. So, yeah. So I, I graduated with a town or with a, uh, about a size of 180. So I was, I was rural Pennsylvania where I grew up. Um, mm-hmm. and we were, we were two towns put together. Uh, and you, like you said, there's pros and cons of it. Like I knew the first and last name of everybody who I graduated with, <laughs> which a lot of people can't say. Yeah. Um, but the extreme of that is my wife had a, a, a graduate student in her, in her uh, cohort who graduated with seven in a town outside of like in the, in the plains of Colorado. And that would just be, I, I can't imagine <laughs> graduating with only seven people. Oh yeah. That's no, definitely could not. That's it's, a tight knit community. Yeah, very. Um, uh, looking back at your uh, high school experience, is there one teacher that sticks out, um, you know, either good or bad, you know, both are good lessons um, that you said, you know, this is, this is a teacher who sticks out that I remember for X, Y, and Z. I, I feel like I was really blessed when it came to teachers. There is one, his name was Mr. Whitaker and he was our um, uh, sixth, seventh teacher. And he did, I think language arts, I mean, it was one of those things where like, they all kind of cover different stuff. And you yep. we weren't, you know, it's a small, small building. Yeah. Um, he was just so funny and he had a way of bringing levity about things and putting things in perspective. And I remember um, I went through that phase where like, I don't want to be known as smart anymore because everyone made fun of me. And so I remember he found a way to very gently pull me out of class one day like a really funny way that made the class laugh and made me feel special but then also uses an opportunity to be like hey like get it together like Mm -hmm. you made an 80 on that test and you and I both know that you knew the answers like what are you doing um and so I just always felt like he had a good connection with us he was very supportive and and it continues to this day like I I still feel like if I ever need anything he's someone that I could go back to um 
So he was at my baby shower for my first child. Like, you know, so I feel like when you grow up in that small community, but he's someone that I always think about as being kind of reaching out and saying like, you, you can be smart without bragging about it and letting everyone Mm. know, like (laughs) you you don't have to make yourself a victim. Um, So that was good. Yeah, it's awesome. And I love hearing stories like that because uh, the theme that has been popping up over and over again is we remember teachers who made personal connections with us and were down to earth and were real with you and and brought the outside world into the classroom. Um, so those those are some thoughts that I, I try to keep with me now is, is you know, be be real with the students, make good connections, make good relationships, uh, and that's going to outlast you. Yeah. Um, so, uh, moving on to college then, where did you go? Uh, what did you major in? Why? So I went to Wofford college. It's in Spartanburg. Um, <laughs> Wofford. Wofford. Yes. Wofford. Okay. Wofford. W O F F O R D. Um, what's, what's the mascot out of curiosity? It is a Boston terrier. Okay. Uh, because <laughs> we were, we're a baseball, we, we have a big baseball team and I guess a Boston Terrier like chased someone down the home run line. <laughs> it's like, so, um, we so have let's a make it the mascot. <laughs> Basically he looks very fierce, uh, very fierce. Of course, um, of course. So yeah, it was in, uh, the seat of the County that I grew up in. So it was, it was only about 40, 45 minutes away from where I grew up. So I felt comfortable, but it was also in the city. So I felt like I was able to kind of get away. My, my best friend was going there. So we were able to like, you know, roommate and do all that. Cool. And I like grown up, like going by whenever we could <laughs> see. And, um, and so I immediately was going to do psychology. I think I'd always been, um, I always felt good when I helped people, I always felt really good when I was teaching people things, um, listening to their, when they were having issues and, um, friends that often said like, you're very comforting or like, you're good at like calming down. (laughs) So I just kind of felt like that was my calling. Like even then coming after having lost a really good friend to suicide, I felt like that was just kind of, I kind of wanted to know why it hurt, I guess, so much. And like mm-hmm. what the school could have done. To, like, I knew like there was something that should have been done differently. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I didn't know what it was just like a very hard grapple. So, yeah. uh, went to psychology. I had convinced myself that I was just going to graduate, like keep my head down. I wasn't going to do anything big. Um, and I was in a couple of psychology classes and a professor, Dr. Reed, like pulled me after class. Like, Hey, like you're good at this. Like started having me come in his office and talking to me about stuff. Um, and so next thing I know, I'm not just sitting in class, <laughs> keeping my head down. I was helping run a lab and, um, doing multiple research projects and really looking at how we learn and why we learn the way that we do and differences between people's motivations. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was, it kind of went from zero to 60 pretty quickly. <laughs> like, um, so it was a fun time. It was a great small little liberal arts place that has a, a huge emphasis on research. So I was very, very fortunate for Dr. Reed there and the environment. Yeah. You got your, got your, uh, got your feet wet with research at the undergraduate level, which doesn't really happen very often. So, uh, <clears throat> and then it, it led directly into your PhD, right? You didn't take any time off in between, right? I did not. No, I did not. Um, I don't know if I would recommend that to everybody. (laughs) Uh, It was a little exhausting, but um, no, he, I, I knew I wanted to do something that was education and psychology. So school psychology fit. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Checks both boxes. 
It did. And then I applied, you know, I applied to master's programs and PhD programs, but the, the school in Atlanta, Georgia State University, I felt really good when I interviewed, I connected with the faculty there. Um, and they said, yes. So <laughs> I went, I there was like, go. I'm, I'm going to go from this town of 400 people. That's 0.9 oh. square miles and uh, go live in Atlanta, Georgia. Wow. <laughs> <So>. Yeah. <laughs> and Atlanta is not a small city. My sister's down in Atlanta now. Um, and it's, it's like a lot of East coast cities are, are kind of tight and Atlanta is just like, whoosh, like it just yes. sprawls out for miles and miles. Like the, the beltway is like huge. I know. Um, but anyway, uh, so your, your PhD work and the research that you did there, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's where, uh, the, the coping with bullying scale for children, did that come out of your PhD work? It did. That was my dissertation. Um, yeah. So and talk so, to us about that. Cause that, that to me is interesting that, that we can even have a scale, you know, that you can, you can kind of document and create systems around. So uh, walk us through, what was the process with that? And, and where did that even come from? Yeah. So, you know, when you go into a PhD program, it's nice when someone like hires you, <laughs> <They're> like, you're <laughs> going to come work with me. And so um, I was very blessed to be taken on by Dr. Chris Burgess there and Dr. Joel Myers, and they run a school safety lab. Um, and so I joined the project on the bullying prevention. So we were providing intervention to local middle school students, um, who had been experiencing bullying and, you know, talking to them. And one day they were like, Hey, we want to look into cyberbullying. Is anyone interested? And no lie. I thought they said cyberbullying, like cyberbullying. <laughs> um, I had no idea what I was signing up As in for. 10 pins and a ball. Yes. Yes. And so I was like, I don't know what that is, but like <laughs> as someone who is, feels a little bit behind in technology, having grown up where I did and uh, being on the cusp of the millennial age, I'm just going to go ahead and volunteer. So I did. And I'm so glad I did because I ended up being able to do interviews with students um, high school students and middle school students really sitting down with them one-on-one, talking to them about their experiences, um, not only with cyberbullying, but with each other and with victimization. And through all of that, was able to combine these stories from kids. Um, I really value kids as experts and their own content and realizing that most of the coping scales that we use to measure how students cope were built on um, adult coping uh, models. Okay. Um, or were built for general stress, not specific to bullying, which is a very unique phenomenon that kind of has its own thing. Yeah, um, it's almost, you know, it's, it's unfortunate, it, you know, in years past that it, it was bullying was kind of like a rite of passage that you experienced as mm -hmm. you made it through, right? It's, it's something that's not uniquely uh, adolescent, but it definitely thrives at that age. Um, so absolutely. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. So we went through the, and I started seeing these themes come up around coping and they were continuously telling us like talking to teachers don't work. You tell mm -hmm. us to do these things. You tell us to problem solve. It doesn't work. Mm -hmm. um, and they told us why they gave some really good. We had, it's a, I could go on all day about that. We had so many activities around it, um, but I decided to make my own scale. So I went back through our codes. We had coded every time they brought up coping and we assigned it, you know, is this seeking social support? Is this problem solving? Is it, um, bullying back. And then from that actually use the language from those interviews to create the items at the scale. Um, and then went through all of the, and then the validation and administering it every year in middle schools and kind of taking items. And I will say the only items we had to remove were the items that I made up. Oh. So <laughs> I learned a lesson that you should just use the language of the kids. <laughs> just, there you go. 
Um, so that's where that came out. And we were able to, to really link it, I think, more accurately to functioning and um, how students were doing and what they found to be effective. Um, and it kind of gave us a better insight into why it's so important we give them self-determination and their yeah. own skills because yeah. relying on adults is um, it's, it's not effective. Yeah. And it, I mean, it makes a lot of sense because I've, I've had this, sometimes my, my wife or this happens to a lot of people, I'm sure, but she'll, she'll complain about something. And my first instinct is, okay, here's how you fix it. She's like, no, no, that's not, I, I don't need that. Don't tell me that. I just need you to hear me and be on my side. And like, it kind of sounds a little similar that, you know, as teachers, we hear, Hey, this, this bullying is happening. Okay. Here's how you fix it. Boom. And it's, that's not what is needed in the moment. Right. Um, so it, it also reminds me, I, I found this quote uh, somewhere in your research that says uh, researchers have suggested that bystander behaviors and victim coping play an important role in counteracting the negative effects of bullying. So um, that kind of naturally seems like two things that we can talk about. Um, we, you know, that the victim coping um, is kind of what we're talking about here, right? Mm hmm. Yeah. yeah. So that was what I said a lot of time was like, how do victims cope? But that inevitably you have to talk about the bystanders because how right. they were describing the way they coped really depended on how the other kids around them reacted. Mm. And so that kind of led down, how do we put those two things together in terms of that's really where the power is. The power is with the bystanders. Um, the bystanders really are the ones who can make right. the difference. And so I spent a lot of time talking to victims and helping them cope while also trying to be better about saying, be a, a, an upstander, be someone who comes in and right. can disrupt this because the bully isn't doing it just to take the power from the kid they're bullying. They're taking your power because you're letting it happen. They're doing it for your benefit, right? And so wow. um, that's been, I think, really powerful working with students as well. Yeah, that, I mean, it... it... I think maybe we know that, but having, having it put into those words that, yeah, if it's, if it's one-on-one, -on -one, it very well might be that a bully and a victim are, are totally fine by themselves. But as soon as you put a crowd around them, then all of a sudden that dynamic changes completely. And that makes a ton of sense. The power is with the bystanders. Mm -hmm. So, so this is, this is more along the lines of, you know, in-person bullying but it now obviously we've got this whole new world of cyberbullying that's come around in the last two decades or so um so how do bystanders even work in in cyberspace <laughs> you know is is that as as important i think it is i i know that we're just starting to really do this research in terms of like creating fake social media websites and like manipulating how bystanders react but um it's, a, I do think it's harder because with cyberbullying, it gets shared. And so you're more likely, like if you're sharing something or you're liking something, you're becoming an accomplice. And so you're actively joining in, um, um, whether you realize it or not. And then intervening as a bystander online is mostly just being able to say, hey, this isn't cool. Hey, this isn't okay to do this and calling people out, which can be difficult because that's going to turn it right back at you, which is I, it's a very similar in person. But I think students, some students are less likely to do it in that permanent state. And other students are more likely, I have other students who are like, I'm more likely to stand up for you online because it's a lot easier than face to face. So it kind of depends on the student's comfort level um, but I would say it works the same way when you see it calling it out, you know, not making that person stand up for themselves and saying like, this is like, hold up, 
like yeah. this seems really aggressive like this is this is not this doesn't feel good right um but at the very least not continuing to share or like or screenshot or send that message out or be you know like shut it down you don't have to say something actively just shut it down are you familiar with this is a complete tangent i don't know sure if i'll leave this in or not there's a, a tv show called new girl yeah <laughs> so there's an episode where the the character jess is is the vice principal i think at the time and she's leading a sexual harassment uh seminar at, at her school and that's the term that she uses shut it down yeah. <laughs> so I, I just see like the x motion that she's doing when you said that yeah i mean that's basically it like just you know, they're putting it out there because they're trying to get other people to laugh or to press like or to share. And if they're right. not getting that reaction, um, it's not you know. as yeah, that uh, I, I've I read a book on dopamine and how social media knows how to give you more dopamine. And it becomes like this addictive kind of thing, which is why we all know that social media really has more negative effects for us than it does positive. And yet here we are all the time on our phones because yeah. that dopamine hit. Um, but I mean, that makes a lot of sense, uh, obviously. So I guess the question then is as teachers where the majority, uh, I mean, this this year has been completely different, but for most of us, the majority of our time is spent in person, not online, not on those media outlets. So what's the role of a teacher in social media land when we're not there to say, hey, this person said this, you know, or to, to prove that? So how do we play a role in, in helping, uh, you know, navigate social media, navigate uh, you know, some of the cyberbullying that's happening when we're not present, I guess. I, I think, I, hopefully, you know what I'm asking. <laughs> I do. It I is think my hard. words are failing me, but I think you know what I mean. No, it's good. We did some focus groups with parents and they were asking us the same thing around, you know, like schools have these really vague policies. And if you're not yeah. cyberbullying on a school device, there's nothing they can do, um, which is and isn't true. <laughs> right. Um, and so what I would say is to just remember that what's happening online is very much coming into the classroom. It is on their brains. Um, we kind of describe them as paper tigers that follow them around. Um, you don't see that it's there, but it's constantly there. Um, and it's setting up social dynamics within the room that are going to be a lot harder for you to recognize. So when I was in school, all the teachers knew who was best friends and who got in a fight the day before. Yep. Unfortunately, teachers today, y'all don't have that because it's happening online. You don't get to see it. You're not privy to that. And so kind of understanding that context. But I think the biggest thing that I, when I train teachers and we're talking about social media is really modeling what social media and healthy social media behaviors look like and just relationships with technology in general. And so um, not scorning technology, not acting like it doesn't exist, <laughs> but right. modeling and saying, like, I will say to my clients when I'm working with kids, like, man, like someone put this thing on social media and like, I just don't feel great about it. Like acknowledging that it happens um, and kind of talking through what that might look like. And so I'm a huge advocate for teachers, including sort of that social emotional learning piece where we talk about what does it mean to have good online behaviors? What does it mean to have a positive online experience or to be a digital citizen? Right. Um, and so I do, I recognize that that's really hard, 
when it's hard to get social emotional learning in the classroom to begin with, with everything mm-hmm. else that you're responsible for. Um, but the degree to which you can do that to really model it, to talk it, to include lessons that highlight how to have an appropriate, healthy relationship with technology goes a long way. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it goes back to modeling everything that you want your students, you know, they're, mm-hmm. they're going to do what they, what you do, not what you tell them to do. Right. Right. Um, we all know that, 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 uh, the reality of that phrase and, and the truth behind that phrase, but I guess, uh, looking at, you know, like you said, you, there's, there's these vague, um, descriptions of, of schools policy on cyberbullying, Right. Um, <clears throat> so looking at that, that bystander effect as teachers, how do we, you know, how do we help encourage the bystanders in our social world, in our, or in our digital world? How do we teach them to be good bystanders? You know, how do we teach them to intervene? Um, take it away. <laughs> that is the million dollar question. Perfect. Um, that is, I wish I had a great answer for that. I think it's something that as researchers are spending a lot of time trying to figure out, you know, we have social emotional curricula that focuses on bystander behavior, Um, School climate is a huge piece. And so I know that teachers can't necessarily do the whole school, but like the climate within your classroom, being approachable, being someone that they can trust, um, that everyone has, you don't have to like each other, but that we have those positive cultural acceptance, all of those pieces. When that's present, all the things on social media, all the things online, those things get better. So whether you feel like you're directly... You know, whether you feel like you're directly impacting it or not, like giving them that safe space to come in there and having those expectations um, means means the world. It's a huge first step. And so that is one way I would say, you know, if you're teaching students respect and valuing different opinions and valuing different perspectives, that's going to translate to the online environment that they do take that with them. Um, The other piece is looking for those warning signs. And so you can hear the students when they're talking. Um, when they come to you and they tell you these things, being really honest about what's okay and what's not okay. Um, and I hate to bring it back to modeling, but like, they know, like when you're on your phone and you're on Facebook or Snapchat or whatever, during lunch break, like, or if you're having like someone put this on the school board website, like they hear all those conversations. So monitor that a little bit. Yeah. Well, you know, like, yeah, the, uh, the faculty room is not as soundproof as we hope it is. <laughs> no, the students I've talked to are like, oh, I know the teachers. Like I know who doesn't like who, and I know who was putting someone on someone's Facebook page. And I'm like, what? Um, so I bet I you, yeah, middle do- school and high school are probably a lot better at, at navigating that and figuring that out than elementary, but still, I mean, I was in, I was, uh, covering a classroom today and the kids are showing me how to change the code of the web page to look like it did all of the work. Come on. <laughs> and that's when I told the story that when I was your age, the internet made a sound. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's, but the, the reality that the students pick up on so much, um, is it's, you know, you can't hammer that home enough. Um, and likely the people who are seeking out, you know, information in, in the form of a podcast that looks at research, you're probably proactive enough to realize mm-hmm. that you're probably not the culprit, although you might be, so don't, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, you know, it's the students definitely have, have a knack for it and being that model, um, you know, like you said, it, it, it transitions from in-person to online. So being the model and, and talking about what bullying looks like in person, how to be a good bystander in person, that behavior, 
uh, crosses over and it and it basically serves the same purpose in in the digital world, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I wrapped it up pretty good. Yeah, you did. <laughs> put, good a, job. put a nice little bow on it. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Anyway, um, I I feel like we we covered a, a good bit here. Um, is there anything else that we didn't talk about that you wanted to to highlight quick? It's a Friday evening. It, and my brain is <laughs> I'm like, uh, that I mean, is fair it, enough. <laughs> yeah, I think it's. I will say the one thing I do, I have started talking to teachers about is technoference. And so this has been really important with the pandemic where the way we introduce technology really can disrupt interactions with each other. And so um, whenever I talk to teachers about social media and technology in the classroom, I kind of say, whenever you can, like, don't use it. Because mm. it is, it kind of comes in and creates like another middleman a little bit. And sure. so we call it technoference, sure. where like the use of technology, I love that. yeah, it inter- like the use of technology interferes with social interactions. And so Definitely. I love technology, clearly. It's my thing. <laughs> um, and I love like my son's school has, you know, a tablet that we're using. And it's been really helpful with the pandemic. So there's no getting away from technology. But still fostering those one-on-one, face-to-face um, situations are going to be really important for social skill development and for making sure that they feel connected. So if the only way that they're interacting with each other or with the teachers through a smart board or a tablet or a Chromebook, um, that interferes with the development across the board, which then in turn interferes with academic performance. And so I always tell teachers that I, as a school psychologist, I'm coming in and testing them and I have my phone on my desk as I'm timing. Just having my phone there is technoference. And so being in the moment with students is way more important when you can put the phone away, don't have it on your desk, look at them, get on their level, be present with them as much as you can, because the technoference we're finding is, is actually quite detrimental to students. Yeah, being uh, intentionally present and uh, listening deeply are the two uh, phrases that I've taken out of this whole pandemic thing that has forced us into these digital worlds. Uh, mm-hmm. But so I, I love that that you highlighted that uh, there yeah. too. Yeah, that's um, yeah, especially with you know a lot of our learning has shifted to an online space. Uh, so the challenge of you know, especially if you're in a, still in a hybrid situation where you still have half your kids online and half your kids in person, it's very easy to give them all the same assignment and have the kids in person on their computers. Right. Right. And maybe that's the policy of your school. And you know what, this is just an odd year roll with the way really your school is, is doing. Yep. Um, but <laughs> as we come out of the back end of this, yeah, I, I think the, the focus on technology being a tool and not the way um, is obviously important. And I, I could be biased because I, I've there, I mean, I can't even say that. I was going to say that my classroom is very, you know, I've got my instruments out, like we're almost never using technology, but I mean, music tech, the only way that music is made for the radio anymore seems to like it's through technology. So I can't even say that either. I should probably be doing, doing more technology <laughs> in my classroom. Uh, but anyway, um, what's one thing before we wrap up and, and head over to the exit ticket questions? What's one thing that you're working on right now that you're just stoked about? Oh my goodness. So we are wrapping up. So we did a huge study on social media rumination. So um, looking at how often students look and think about social media and how that impacts um, the way they behave when they're at school. So I'm, you're, you're going to have to help me with rumination. Is that oh, what that yeah. means? So, um, <laughs> thinking about it all the time. So the scale we developed okay. is very similar, like 
talking to students and using their language. Um, and it was a great team out of Illinois with the Care for You project and uh, really looking at the differences in how um, youth who think a lot about social media, who worry about it a lot, mm. um, like spend a lot of time thinking about what they're going to post and all that. It really has some interesting effects on bullying and cyberbullying, um, more so bullying, interestingly, than cyberbullying, which I found yeah. it's a whole other thing. Um, so I'm really excited about it. We're going to be publishing some of those things hopefully soon if I can get them written up. But we just found some some cool differences, even as far as like why you use the Internet. So students who use the Internet for romantic relationships um, have a different way of ruminating about social media than someone who uses social media just to like get information. Um, sure. So it's a really cool project. I'm excited to, to wrap it up and to get those things out for people to see because it's just it's a very complicated complex relationship between mental health social media and children's experiences so yeah that's awesome uh you know when this this podcast will still be around in a few years so when you're when you're wrapped up with that send us send us a link to it and we'll yes. put it in the show notes <laughs> for yeah. anybody who uh for who anybody who's listening a few months down the road so um yeah, this has been fantastic. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time. Let's head over to our exit ticket questions. Yeah. So these are the same four questions that I ask every guest who comes on the show. And the first one is, what is a book recommendation you think teachers should read? So I actually have two because one is for older All students right. and one's for younger. <laughs> I'm like, I can't, can't it's help fine. it. It's fine. Um, I've had, I think five was the most. <laughs> Somebody just kept <laughs> listing them. No, I do because I do think it's different when we're talking about young children versus older children Absolutely. who may have their own device. And so one is Youth in the Digital Age, Paradox, Promise, and Predicament. Um, by I can't Kate Telexek, I can't say, it, and Valerie Campbell. <laughs> um, and so wonderful book. It's based on a five-year study. It does a great job of walking through all of the complexities of technology and youth and the way that it impacts their social emotional functioning. And then the other one is Young Children in a Digital Age, Supporting Learning and Development with Technology in Early Years by Lorraine Kay. And I love this one because it has lesson plans. It has hands-on nice. activities um, and ways in which you can use technology to scaffold learning um, appropriately within developmental lens. So yeah. very good. That's very awesome. Good and I, I love uh, anything that provides actionable steps like that and gives you the lesson plans and says, here's how you do X, Y, and Z, instead of just, here's a theoretical problem. Think about it and maybe use it. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, so love, love, love those books. Awesome. Question two is what resource would you point teachers to, to go check out? So um, stopbullying.gov has a lot of information on, um, you know, bullying and cyberbullying has some great handouts, some teacher lessons. I also always give a shout out to Hedduja and Passion's website there in Florida, the cyberbullying.org. Um, amazing okay. resources on technology, briefs, they have books. They've, they're kind of the forerunners in cyberbullying research. And so anything you can get on by um, Handuja and Passion is going to be great. And then commonsense.org has a really great digital citizenship site that has lesson plans for teachers around how to actually talk about digital citizenship and how to have healthy online behavior. So I, I always recommend those as well. Awesome. Yeah. The the last one sounds familiar. I think maybe I, I've heard that or explored that before, but the other two are, are brand new. So that's awesome. We will, uh, as always, link everything in the show notes. Yeah. Uh, question three is, uh, what piece of advice would you like to give teachers, particularly teachers who are just starting their careers? Um. 
be intentional in the climate that you build in your classroom. You cannot control what happens outside of your classroom or in your students' lives, but everything you can do to create a positive climate in your classroom is going to help impact their well-being across all of those domains. And so from expectations to cultural acceptance to just modeling healthy relationships with technology and social media, those are all things that um, make a world of difference. Even just saying hi to them when they come in in the morning, it makes a world of difference. Um, uh, One of the first things that uh, my first principal that I had uh, they said, stand at your door and welcome your kids into your classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, it, there's, yeah, that makes all the difference too, to set the tone of that day. You know, what, what is, what is your tone as you're welcoming the kids in? Um, so that's awesome. I love that. And then the last one is, uh, if anybody has any questions about what we talked about or just wants to reach out to you, where would be the best place to send them? Yeah. So you can find me on the William and Mary website. Uh, my email is L-P-A-R-R-I-S at WM.edu. You can also follow me on Twitter. I'm semi-active right now. <laughs> kind of come in spurts, but I put a lot of stuff up there. So at Paris Leandra on Twitter. Awesome. And we will link those in the show notes as well. So Dr. Leandra Paris, thank you so much. This has been fantastic. Yeah. Thank you for having me. And there you go. Yeah, great conversation uh, around bullying and cyberbullying. Hopefully you got some value out of it. Uh, A couple of different things that, you know, as as we were chatting about this, a lot of it uh, to me, I'm just sitting there going like, yeah, I know this, but it's it's a good refresher or yeah, I know this, but the way that you said that makes a lot more sense. Um, You know, because I think this this concept of bullying is definitely not new, especially in school settings and especially in, you know, the middle school ages uh, is typically where you see a lot of this. But um, the importance of uh, the bystander uh, is something that I never really considered before. And that quote that Leandra shared about uh, the, you know, the bully, the bystander has just as much power, right? The, the bully is doing the bullying usually for the audience. So just being somebody who's a bystander, if you're not intervening, then you are like you are actively uh a part of the the bullying process then um which is which was just a a a strange not a strange but a a neat way to reframe this concept right Uh, and i think if it's a new lens to give students and it could affect the way that they intervene then looking forward but uh this idea of online bullying and cyber bullying um it's, it's a really tricky one because most schools, like we said, most schools don't have a very clear-cut way on how they respond to cyberbullying, right? If it happens off of school property, if it happens out of school time, whose responsibility is it? Is it still the school's responsibility? Well, what happens if it's on a school device? How does that play? Like, there's so many different questions, and uh, part of that is because you know things haven't been ironed out simply because of time, right? Cyberbullying has not been something that's been around for decades and decades and decades, so uh, it will get ironed out over time. But it's it's important to have these questions, um, and so I think one of the things that uh, you should be aware of is is what Leandra said is students will bring what's happening online into the classroom, right? Um, as much as we like to separate like at home time and in school time, it's still all a part of our kids' lives. So whatever's happening outside of school is eventually going to get brought into school in one way or another. And to just be aware of uh, some of those interactions that take place in online spaces 
um, is important to, it's important to just be aware of that. And then last but not least is to, you know, we, we all know this, you, you do, do what I say, not what I do, right? How many times you've heard that phrase? So students are going to, if you want to be uh, a, a positive role model in this online space, when we're not there, um, make sure you are actively showing how to be a, a good citizen online, right? Uh, have these conversations with students, even though um, it, it might be happening outside of school. Uh, it's important to be that role model in that sense. So uh, students are, are watching you no matter if you like it or not, I guess is the, is the takeaway from that. So um, and then, yeah, wrapping up with this idea of technoference uh, was a term I had never heard before, but it makes a lot of sense, and especially this year with, you know, how uh, how tied up we are to technology this year. Um, moving forward, I think it will be important to uh, be actively present and and put the phone down and put it out of sight uh, and make those personal connections uh, with your students. So. Uh, whenever you get a chance to do that, make sure you include that in there. And the one thing that we didn't get a chance to talk about on this episode, and I actually meant to, I just completely forgot to bring it up, uh, but uh, Landry shared with me before we hit the record button that she also has a podcast. Uh, it's called Dark Loops Productions, and uh, I'll, I'll just read their their Facebook page here. It says, Dark Loops Productions is a portal to podcasts, conversations, and events regarding the realities of lived life, the insights of the arts, humanities, and sciences and all things pop culture. So uh, I've, I'm including the link here in the show notes, but go go check those out. She was saying that um, she uh, they basically they were looking at uh, the show on HBO and they were kind of dissecting uh, some of the things that were in it that could be you know considered racially biased or you know something else. So it sounds like an awesome conversation, and I uh, just wanted to make sure I gave her a shout out there. Go check them out, Dark Loops Productions. Uh, we'll have a link there on the show notes page. So, And speaking of show notes pages, everything that you heard today can be found on our show notes page, which again is at jabadoo.com slash show 37. And when you get there, we would love to have you be a part of our Facebook group. Uh, like I said, I, I, I'm planning to do some more live streams where uh, I'll be bringing in some different uh, resources or different researchers and giving you an opportunity to ask questions and be present in these conversations and uh, just be a part of bringing evidence-based practices to uh, the education world. So we would love to have you join again, or uh, facebook.com slash groups slash Jabadoo or right there on the show notes page at jabadoo.com slash show 37, where you can sign up for the newsletter. You can support the show by purchasing some of the teacher tees and that's all. That's all I'm going to tell you right now. <laughs> so uh, go check it out. Jabadoo.com slash show 37. And until next time, go teach. Thank you so much for listening to the Jabadoo Education Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to hear more evidence-based strategies for improving your educational career, go ahead and click that subscribe button so you can get the next episode as soon as it is released. If you think this information was beneficial and you think more teachers should hear it, the greatest compliment you can give us is to share this episode with a colleague, either through a text message, email, or social media. And last but not least, if you think more teachers need to hear more of what we are talking about, 
please go leave us a five-star rating and review on your platform of choice. And that will simply let the algorithm know that you are finding value in this content. And it will help boost our show to the top of the list when people search for education shows. Thank you. I appreciate you. And I will see you on the next episode of the Jabadoo Education Podcast.